You know, I began a study a couple years ago, and I called it Encounters with Jesus. And uh, I'm kind of going to be continuing on in that little study because, you know, what I love to look at, I love to look at how people encountered Jesus and what happened through and with that encounter and how their lives were impacted, how their lives were touched. Because, you know, we come in contact with people all the time. We encounter people all the time. And sometimes those encounters have an impact upon us. Sometimes those encounters affect our lives. Again, I, I shared this and I remember back in 1982. It's the summer. I'm working down in Irvine. I'm going by to visit a, uh, a friend of mine that I had hung out with a little bit. And as I was visiting her, her roommate came home. And her roommate came home, and it's the first time that I laid eyes on Mary Powers. She was dressed in all blue. She worked at Albertsons, and and yet I'm sitting looking, and we had this kind of little interaction, and little did I know that that little little interaction was going to uh, change my life forever, you know? And and then a couple weeks later, I had a good friend of mine call me and said, Pat, Mary, that is the woman for you. So I'm thinking, well, if that's the woman for me, I better find out who this woman is. And so we went out, and a couple times, and a few weeks later, I asked her to marry me. And yet that encounter uh, radically changed my life in a sense, really for the good. But we encounter people all the time. I remember the first time I encountered Pastor Jeff. Um, We were, we met at uh, at Orange County Airport. We're flying back to Florida with Pastor Chuck and Pastor Steve. And we're going back there to work on on a house back there. And as we're getting there, we're, you know, we got all our, all our tools with us and, and I'm standing there with Pastor Steve and Pastor Chuck and, and Jeff Gill walks in and I said, hi, it was the very first time we met. And as we're sitting there and, you know, we got all our tools in a bag and we're trying to, you know, get things situated and we're waiting in line to, to check our stuff in. And somebody in front of us was having a really, really bad day. In fact, so much so that they begin to kind of raise the volume of their voice and then they begin to say things and begin to use God's name in vain. And I remember Pastor Jeff in the same, he raised his voice up too and said, that's my Lord and my God, please do not use his name like that. And I remember there's this hush in the place. It's like, what's going to happen now? And I go, I like that guy, you know, and it's kind of like, and we became friends and been friends ever since. But you know, we have encounters with people and we look in the scripture we're going to be looking at. If you got your Bibles, open up to John chapter four tonight. But I remember when I began this study, we started in John chapter two, looking at some people who had an encounter with Jesus and Jesus was at a wedding in Cana and he was an invited guest. And we kind of talked about how Jesus is a gentleman. He doesn't go places that he's not invited. And if we want to experience an encounter with Jesus, we need to invite him in. And then I loved it because it talked about these guys, didn't mention them by name, but they were just simply servants. And, and I like that because, you know, though other people may not know who I am or other people may not know my name, Jesus does. But then we saw there in John chapter two, how these servants walked in obedience to what Jesus had asked. And by walking in obedience, they experienced the miraculous. 
Jesus said, go fill the water pots up. They went and they filled them up to the brim, brought them back, and God did the miraculous. He changed the water into wine, and and that's what he wants to do in our lives. He wants to take the ordinary and and do something miraculous with it. And then we looked in chapter 3 there with, I call it more of the encounter of the religious. We have this man, Nicodemus, and, and as he had this encounter with Jesus, and Nicodemus was a ruler of the Pharisees. He was like the kind of guy that everyone went to to find out what the answers were. What did God think? And everyone looked at this man as a man of God, a man who was very, very close to God. And yet when he comes in contact with Jesus, he goes to him by night because he doesn't want people to know that he's you know, going to go talk to Jesus, to try to get some answers. But he goes to him and he says, hey, nobody can do the things that you're doing unless God is with him. I, I know that God is with you, but Nicodemus had some things going on in his mind and he, he couldn't put all the pieces together. And yet Jesus simply looked at Nicodemus and said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Jesus, in a sense, is telling Nicodemus what was really the question within his heart is oftentimes the question we have is, is hey, what am I missing? What am I missing here? Tell, tell me what am I missing because I see something so radically different you in you. And yet, obviously, I'm missing something. And yet, in that encounter... Uh, with Jesus. You know, Nicodemus, you know, was like, okay, what do you mean this born again? And, and what, what do you mean? Well, do, well, just Jesus, just tell me the hoops that I can jump through that I can know that I'm right with God. And you know what? That's what oftentimes happen, happens with people who are involved in religion. They just want to know, tell me the hoops that I can jump through and then I'll know that I'm right with God. And Jesus says, hey, it's not about the hoops. It's not about the, it's not about what you do, but it's about what you believe. And there in John chapter three, we see over and over again, whosoever would believe, whosoever would believe, whosoever would believe in him. And yet in his encounter with Jesus Christ, he walks away. And I'm going to say, oftentimes, like with religious people, they walk away from their encounter with Jesus not being fulfilled not being satisfied because their, their vision or their view of what God is, is this little box. And if, and if God doesn't match up to what they line up, they just leave it there and they, they walk on. But tonight we're going to be looking at John chapter four. We're going to be seeing, she's just called the woman at the well. And again, and we're going to kind of just kind of take a little overview and looking at this encounter she has with Jesus Christ and, and prayerfully the Lord will instruct us and teach us through this and, and speak to our hearts maybe tonight about her encounter, what that looks like and, and have, I had an encounter like she had here. John chapter four, verse one, it says, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples. He left Judea and he departed uh, again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. And so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the, the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour... And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Jesus here has this encounter with this woman. And in this encounter, he asked this woman to give me a drink. And, and as I was kind of reading through this, I was kind of thinking, now, isn't this strange or isn't this interesting that God, that, that Jesus, who the Bible tells us that by him, And through him, all things were created and all things exist, that he has a need. 
But the reality is we know that God doesn't have a need, but there's always so much more going on. But he says, hey, give me a drink. And again, as I was thinking about that, give me a drink. Are, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Lord, you want a drink? Again, you've created all things. And someone who created all things, they wouldn't need to ask anyone for a drink. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, he says that when the children of Israel, when they, it says they all ate the same spiritual food, they all drank the same spiritual drink, for, the, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And again, if you think about that, in a sense, you know the story where they're traveling there in the wilderness and the children of Israel cry out, they're thirsty. God tells Moses, go strike the rock and he'll bring water. He strikes the rock and God brings out water. But yet Paul is telling us in, in, in Corinthians that that rock in a sense was Jesus Christ. And yet if Jesus Christ could sustain and satisfy a group of people that were thirsty, um, and there many Bible scholars believe there was like 3 million of them, and if he could sustain and satisfy them for some 40 years while they're wandering around the wilderness, you would think he could say, hey, if I'm thirsty, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, give me a case of Perrier or a case of whatever, you know, Arrowhead, just boom, and it would be there. And, and yet why would Jesus be asking her? And I love this because Jesus Christ is, is going to engage her and he's going to bring her in to this conversation. Verse 9, it goes on to say, And the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Again, she's a little um, baffled by this because the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And yet in this encounter with this woman, I have to believe that she's shocked. She's shocked that this guy, being a Jew, would come and talk to her. Now, why would she be shocked about it? And I go, you know, again, I know we're well taught here, but just to go back and do a little history, you know, when Solomon passed away, his son uh, Rehoboam took over the, the, the kingdom there. And there was a guy named Jeroboam, and he came in with all the e- leaders of Israel And they said, hey, lighten up and we'll serve you. But he decided to say, I'm not going to lighten up. And so they kind of had this big split. And there was a split between the south and the north. And Jeroboam went up into the northern area there and 10 tribes of that northern area. And that's kind of when, when the nation kind of split. But he didn't want the Jews up in the north going down to... At Jerusalem to worship. So he sets up a couple of temples there. And one of them was here in Samaria. And the other temple he set up in Tel Dan up in the very, very north. And for those of you who are going to Israel, when you go there, you get to go up to Tel Dan and you get to see it. And it's amazing, this, this area that they were there. And you know, when you're there, it's kind of interesting because, you know, you have Damascus up to the north, Syria, and you can see, you know, you know Lebanon and uh, right over there. And, and it's kind of like, whoa, you know, I mean, when we were there, we kind of heard cannon fire and gunshot and stuff like that, but it's always safe there in, in uh, Israel. But, you know, you got to see that. And yet he sets up these areas there for the people to worship. But then when the Assyrians came down in 700 BC, they came in and they, they conquered the northern kingdom. And the way that they would do things is they would take a people group from here and they would move them way over here and put them over there and take a people group from here and move them here. And they took a people group from over here, moved them down to Samaria. And so the Samaritans were kind of like half-breeds, you know, they were, they, they were, you know, then they intermixed and they mingled and stuff. But for them, they believed in the, 
the five books, uh, the first five books, the Pentateuch of, of Moses. But again, when Moses entered the land, the Lord told him to go to Mount Gerizim and pronounce blessings and Mount Ebal pronounce the curse. But they were there in Samaria, there at Mount Gerizim. And that's where they believed that they were to worship and that God would meet them. And so for them and the Jews, there was this animosity that was, I mean, it was, it was incredible hatred almost. In fact, if you remember when Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler and he says, hey, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus says, well, you, you know, love the Lord our God with all the heart, soul, mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And the guy said, wanting to justify and said, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus shares the story of who his neighbor was. His neighbor, you know, uh, the, the neighbor, there was a guy that was walking down to Jericho. He gets mugged and he gets beaten and he's left to dead. And then a Levite goes by, then a priest goes by, two people who are men of God who should have helped and yet they didn't. And then a Samaritan comes by and he helps and he tends him and he brings him in. And yet interesting, but Jesus, when Jesus asked the guy, who was his neighbor? He wouldn't say a Samaritan. He wouldn't even use the word because for most Jews saying that word Samaritan was like a cuss word. In fact, they told Jesus when they called him, you've got a devil and they called him a Samaritan in a sense. But he said, well, it was the one who showed kindness, but they wouldn't even use, almost use that word, the Samaritan, or it was used in a, in a really mean way. In fact, most good Jews, if you were leaving Jerusalem and you were going up to Galilee, you would cross over the Jordan River and then run up that side so you didn't have to go through Samaria. Or you'd go over to the shore and go up that way and go. But you would bypass Samaria because you didn't want to have anything to do with the Samaritans. In fact, even Jesus, when he sent out the 12 and he sent them out to go out, He said, do not go to a city of the Samaritans, but only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But again, the Jews and Samaritans, there was this animosity and they had absolutely nothing to do with each other. And I believe that Jesus is probably the first Jew that actually spoke to her or at least spoke to her without it being, you know, cussing or, you know, saying something that unhealthy, not good, and yet not right. But continuing on there in verse 10, and Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Wow, what a conversation starter. If you you knew the gift of God. And again, the Lord knows, he knows people's hearts and stuff, but he goes right to what is really the need that is going on? What is going on within the heart of, of man? And yet Jesus dives right in and and he yet he says this, if you knew the gift of God, if you only knew the gift of God, what is the gift of God, people? Ephesians tells us this, for by grace, you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The gift of God is the grace that God gives to each and to every one of us. Grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's God's unmerited favor that he gives to each and every one of us. That is the gift of God. You know, as I was reading this and I just felt like God speaking to my heart, Pat, if you knew, if you knew, the gift of God. Pat, do you realize the gift that God has given you? And yet not only if you knew the gift of God, but if you only knew who it is that says to you, give me a drink. It's like Jesus is looking at this woman and saying, you know what? 
there's something special about the person you're talking to right now. And, and he's connected with the gift of God. In fact, he is the gift of God. If you only knew, if you only knew, this is what he's telling her. And not only that, but you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you only knew the resources that are available through the gift of God, if you only knew that unsearchable riches that are available, that are at his fingertips, man, you would ask him and he would give you life if you only knew what he wants to do for you, if you only knew. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And again, she just stopped. Sir, you got nothing to draw with. And we oftentimes are just like this woman. We get so focused in on the here and now and the present that we can't see anything beyond that. But it's like, the, you know, Jesus said, hey, woman, if you only knew, if you only knew, the gift of God and who it is who's talking to you and, and what he could do for you. And yet she's saying, you know what? Her response is, hey, listen, if I only knew, only knew what? You got no bucket. You got no rope. This well is deep. How can you help me? And yet so oftentimes when we're confronted with things and situations that are going on, we respond just like this woman. What do you mean, God, if I only knew? Hey, God, it's cancer. You know, and God says, hey, Pat, if you only knew. And say, what do you mean if you only knew? The rents do. Hey, Pat, if you only knew. Hey, Lord, it's tax time. Don't you know? Man, come on. What, you know, what, what is that all about? No, I, I want to see it. It's about the buckets and the rope and, and the well is deep. And yet God says, no, no, no. It's not about the buckets and the rope and that the well is deep. It's about whether we would believe or not. You know, I shared this story years ago, but I had a really good friend being tax time, just so I was reminded of this. And uh, the IRS came to him and they said, hey, you owe us $140,000. And I remember sitting and talking with him saying, well, what what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I go, do you got the money? He goes, absolutely not. I don't got any of that money. I don't know what I'm going to do. But he said, but you know what, Pat? God told me it's not about the money. It's about trusting and believing God. And I remember when he said that, I'm thinking, that's stupid. That's silly. No, no, no. It's about the buckets and rope. The well's deep. How do you get that water out, man? Come on. It's about the buckets. He goes, no, no, no. It's not about. God told me it's not about the money, but to trust him. And I remember he went to the pastor and the pastor said, hey, what can we do for you? How can we help you out? You know, and, you know what can we do for you? And he told the pastor, hey, it's not about the money. God told me to trust him. And I remember going to the pastor and the pastor had this like little smirk on his face. And he goes, this is going to be interesting. And yet, as I remember walking this guy through that, he had three months to come up with $140,000. And he's like, okay, Lord, I'm going to do this. And he had his caseworker and he's trying to go. And God all of a sudden provided some work. And so he was able to pay just a little bit, but the time came for him to go in and he was able only just to pay a little bit. And I go, what are you going to do? He goes, well, I'm just going to go in and see what happens. And I remember getting a call back from him later that day. He goes, Pat, you won't believe it. I go in, my caseworker got transferred back east. I got a new caseworker. They say, hey, come back in a few more months and we'll talk to you. So he comes, goes back and God provided some more work. He's able to pay a little bit more. He goes back again on the due date and the caseworker was not there. And it was someone else looking at it. And the, the guy just says, um, you know what? Why don't you just pay this and, and let's just call it good. And again, and he comes out just rejoicing. He said, Pat, it's not about the money. It's about trusting and believing God. 
And yet for us, we oftentimes get so focused in on the, the buckets and the ropes. And, and man, I got these issues. I got these things that are going on. And, and, and I, got, I need something now. We need something sustainable. And yet Jesus is always like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not about that. It's about believing. It's about trusting in me. And are we able to trust and believe in him? Do we know the gift of God? Do we know the gift of God? And who it is who wants to talk to us? And what he can provide for us. Do we know that gift? Verse 13, going on, Jesus answers and says to her, uh, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I'll give him will never thirst, but the water that I give him will become in him a fountain of living water springing up into everlasting life. Again, whoever drinks this water is going to drink again. And yet whoever, the water that I give him uh, will never thirst Jesus now, in a sense, is telling her what he can do for her. And it goes so much beyond what she could do for herself. She was all about a little cup of water and sustaining herself for the day. Jesus was about eternal life and sustaining her for all eternity. And again, when we're focused in on the buckets and the ropes, we have a hard time moving beyond that. And yet Jesus says, hey, I want to do something that's going to touch you for eternity, to a senior life forever. And yet we're, we get so focused just right here. But that's what he wants to do. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come to draw here. And again, Jesus speaks of eternity and she's still kind of concerned with what's going on. And yet Jesus wants to take her even deeper as he oftentimes does with us. And as I oftentimes say, God is never done with us and he's always wanting to draw us deeper and deeper into him and to who he is and what he wants to do uh, for us. In verse 16, Jesus says to her, he says, go call your husband and come here. Go call your husband. Let's see where you're really at and how you're going to respond to this. In verse 17, the woman answered and said, oh, I have no husband. Jesus said, you've said, well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Uh, in that you spoke truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Okay, so you know some things about me. And again, by this time, this woman has to be kind of freaking out a little bit. But you know what I love about God is oftentimes with each one of us, sometimes he comes and he kind of pulls back the veil or the curtain of our own heart and he exposes who we really are. And why does that shock us? Why does that make us kind of go, whoa, what's going on there? But I love it when he does it. You know, when I was pastoring in Washington, we had this lady and she had been in church all her life, very religious, going to church and was a very, very good person. And yet I remember one Sunday she come in and she had this little different look upon her. And as she's walking around, she's going, oh my gosh, Pat, God told me that I'm a sinner. Pat, God told me I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. And she's walking around telling everyone, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. And it's like the Lord just kind of pulls his veil back and kind of exposed some things within her heart. And for the first time, she saw herself clearly, in a sense, in the way in light of God and his word. And she says, man, I just thought I was always this righteous person. And yet God spoke, revealed, I am a sinner. You know, I was talking to someone the other day. And they come in and they they, they kind of look at me, that same look. And they go, man, Pat. God told me that I was like selfish. And so they begin to tell me their story. And in the middle of their story, I stop and I go, you have to be one of the most selfish people I've ever talked to and stuff. And they go, yeah, I know. God showed me that. But yet why is it that we are, when God pulls back and he says, Pat, you're selfish. 
Pat, you're prideful. Pat, you're arrogant. And we, oh my God, you know, that should be a good thing. Not that we're going to stay and say, hey, I'm prideful and arrogant and just deal with it. No, that's not what God would say. But when he pulls back that veil and speaks to our hearts, it should be something that we say, man, amen. And yet it's because he loves us and he wants to expose some things within our hearts and cause us to respond back to him, back to him. Verse 20, she goes on to say, well, our fathers worship on this mountain and you Jews say in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the father. You worship what you don't know, for we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And I love this because this is kind of evangelism 101 where you're talking with somebody and they always want to change the subject. Oh yeah, well, what church do you go to? And and that's kind of what she's, you know, kind of saying, you know, what church is it? Where where you go to church and stuff. And yet I love it about Jesus because it's like, hey, it ain't about what church you go to. It's about who you're worshiping. Who you're worshiping. Are you worshiping Jesus? Are you worshiping the Father? And those that are worshiping him, worship him in spirit and in truth. And I looked that up a little bit. To worship in spirit means that you're concerned with the spiritual realities. Not so much just the outward sacrifice, cleansing, and trappings. That's what the Jews were all about. They were all about jumping through the right hoops. You know, I want to make sure I jump through the hoops to make sure that I'm right with God. And again, Jesus says, you know what? On the outside, you look great, but inside there's something missing. There's, there's a work that you need done within your heart and life. And yet when we're worshiping spirit, it's the spiritual realities. It's a desire to want to know him, a desire to want to have him speak to our hearts. It's a desire to, to say, God, Show me what it is that you want me to learn and and, and what you want me to do, those spiritual realities. But then, not only in spirit, but in truth. And worship in truth means according to the whole counsel of God's word, especially the things that are taught in the New Testament. But again, it's, it's not just, okay, I want to take this little thing here or this little thing here, but it's the whole counsel of God and wanting and desiring to walk in obedience to what God's word would say, that he would be the one that would lead us and guide us and direct us. That's what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Messiah is coming, the anointed one. He'll tell us all things. He's going to explain all things to us. And as I was reading that this time, I was like thinking, well, isn't that what Jesus just did? (laughs) Kind of explain all things uh, to you. And yet here in verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, uh, I who speak to you am he. I who speak to you am he. Jesus says, you're waiting for Messiah, you're looking for him. Well, I'm him. And yet Jesus reveals something to this woman, this woman that in a sense, no one wanted almost anything to do, but he reveals to her some secret truths that he didn't reveal to anyone else. Uh, This is the first time that Jesus, in a sense, is basically, basically saying, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the one that is to come. And yet I I marvel like, Lord, why did you pick this woman who, in a sense, is this outcast? Why would you pick her to reveal this truth? 
And yet what I love about God is the Bible says the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And he'll show to them his covenant. God wants to speak and he wants to minister. He wants to reveal the, the, the mysteries of God. In fact, that's what Paul said. Paul said that the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know what I love about God? Because the Bible says that his spirit dwells within us. And because his spirit dwells within us, he will lead us and guide us into all truth. And he wants to speak to us. And maybe you're sitting here tonight. Maybe you've not even gotten saved yet. And you're just about to get saved. Well, God will reveal and can reveal things to you and to your heart that maybe I don't know or that I've yet to experience. He, he likes to reveal and, and share his secrets with his kids. And yet hear this woman Uh, someone who you would think, what good would it be to share this with her? And yet God comes to her and shares with her. And at this point, his disciples came, verse 27. And they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? And and again, I, I kind of crack up in my mind when I think about this scenario. They're coming up and they see Jesus talking to a woman. Now again, if you understood in the Jewish thing, that a, a, a Jewish rabbi or a really good Jewish person would not talk to a woman in open public, let alone a Gentile or a Samaritan. In fact, for the Jews, uh, their wives walked behind them. They wouldn't, you know, if that, I'm not even going to talk to my wife in public. You know, they'd be kind of out there just kind of walking along. Maybe they do kind of like the, the thing in Africa where, I don't know if you've ever been over to Africa, but going over there, in fact, me and Mary are going to be heading over to Uganda and going ministering at a refugee camp in November. But when you go over there, the guys like to hold each other's hands and kind of walk along. And the first time for me, I'm thinking, that's a little weird. That's a little, you know, kind of like awkward, you know, but, but again, for them, it was, it, it was nothing. And yet for him to, to, for the guys to come up and they see him talking and yet they don't want to say anything. But you know what I love about that? God is never awkward. Jesus is never awkward in situations. We can be, we oftentimes can, we respond or react in certain ways that are sometimes unhealthy, but Jesus is never awkward in situations. I remember when we had first taken over this little church up there and a lot of the families, they wanted to get together and meet with us. And this one couple took us out and we went to a little Mexican restaurant as we're sitting there. The guy orders a beer and he puts a beer there in front of him. Now he doesn't drink the beer, but he ordered it and he sat it there. And, and we're kind of talking and going on and going on. And, and at the end of the night, he looked at me and said, you know what, Pat, I ordered that beer to see how you would act and respond. If you would act and respond differently before I ordered it than after. And he said, you know what? You acted exactly the same before and you acted exactly the same after. He goes, I, I can follow you in, in a sense. And it was kind of like, a, you know, one of those things I'm going, I'm glad I didn't like, what the heck are you doing? You know, but I just, you know, no, Lord, you're, you're here. Cause I want to, I don't want to make it about that. I want to make it about Jesus and who he is and what he wants to do. But again, I love that fact that God isn't awkward in situations. We can be, he's not, Jesus Christ is not. And yet look at verse 28 with me. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And I just love this because as I was reading this, I just felt like God just 
spoke to my heart about this encounter that this woman has and what the effect of her encounter with Jesus Christ was. The effect of her encounter with Jesus Christ, the first thing it says there is that she left the water pot. She left the water pot. And again, to me, the water pot, the, boat, the, the bucket and the ropes, uh, those things that speak of that which we are so concerned about, that which we are so moved by, that which consumes our thoughts and our minds and, and those things that we feel like are just a here and now and the issues that we have and the problems and stuff. And yet here this woman who at one point was so concerned about those things, yet she has this encounter with Jesus Christ and yet she leaves those things at his feet and she heads away. You know, tonight, some may be sitting here and you've come in here and you've walked in with buckets and ropes that are in your mind and you're consumed with, things that you're burdened by. And the Lord would say, he doesn't want you to walk out still burdened by those things, but he wants you to do just like this woman and leave them at his feet. And, and don't walk out here the way you walked in if you walked in burdened and, and with, with these cares and concerns. He wants you to go out, set free from those things. And yet that's what she did in her encounter. She left the water pot. She left the buckets and ropes. And then she went back into the city. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, how did she leave the city to go out to the well? Well, I have to believe she kind of left because she came at noon. It, it, was, it was lunchtime. Uh, you know, and when I was in Africa there, the, the ladies would go out to the well early in the morning before the heat of the day. And yet she was out there at noon because she didn't want to be seen by any of the ladies. She didn't want to be seen by anyone. She was kind of trying to hide. She wanted nothing to do with anyone else. And I have to feel like she went out to that well with shame and with guilt. And again, oftentimes when we have shame and guilt that we're carrying around, there's hurt and the pain that goes along with that. And yet she goes out to this well with the shame and guilt, this hurt and this pain. And yet she, not wanting to see anybody, and yet she heads back to the city. And yet she's heading back. And it's, it's, it's not about the guilt and the pain and the shame. That was somewhere. She left it with Jesus. Again, maybe you're sitting here tonight and there's, there's shame and there's guilt. Man, Jesus wants to, you to know that you can leave it with him. Leave it at his feet. Just like this woman in her encounter with Jesus, have an encounter with Jesus tonight and says, I'm gonna leave that with, with, with Jesus. And then she goes back. She goes back where she came out not wanting anyone to know or to see her. She goes back wanting everyone to see her. She goes back wanting everyone to know, you know, what has gone on. And I just love that. She goes back excited, goes back with hope and then wanting to share that hope. And the third thing, she, she says to the men of the city, come and see a man who told me all things ever I did. Could this be the Christ? She wanted to tell people about her encounter with Christ. She wants to, uh, people to know, you know. And again, when we have an encounter with Jesus Christ, we should want to share. You know, as I was reading this and preparing this, God was speaking to my heart and I was so excited about wanting to share these things. I had an encounter with God and I want to share those things. That should be how we are. When we're having encounters with God, we should want to share. And yet for her, it's, it's kind of like she's, uh, you know, preaching the gospel. She's sharing the good news of salvation, of eternal life. It's like something happened in her encounter that changed her life forever. And that's what an encounter with Jesus Christ should look like. That's what an encounter with God should be for each and every one of us. Changes her 
forever. But pick up the story with me over in verse 39. In verse 39, it goes on to say, And many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Now they said to the woman, now we believe not not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Many believed in him because of the word of the woman. And again, this encounter with Jesus, Jesus brings to light that need within her heart to be loved, to be accepted, to, to be forgiven. And yet Jesus points her to the only one who can meet that need. If you only knew the gift of God and who it is who wants to talk to you and what it is that he can do for you, man, you would run into his arms. You would drop everything and just run to him. And yet again, what I love about this is that what he gives her and that experience brings about an eternal destiny for her. It brings about life. It brings about trusting in in God and causes her to hold on to the word, the words of life. And yet I love it because for these guys, you know what, they go back to the woman and say, you know what, we now believe, not just because of what you say. And you know what, tonight, again, you don't believe because of what I say. Jesus Christ is here. He's in our midst. Two or three are gathered. He's here. Jesus Christ is speaking to you. He wants you to know the gift of God. He wants you to know all that he can do for you. And yet if we would but open our hearts, we could say just like these guys, I know that this indeed is the Christ, the savior of the world. You know, as we look at this woman and we see this encounter with her, Again, just like with us, people don't make it about the buckets and ropes, but make it about the gift of God and who he is and what he wants to speak and all that he can do for us. Don't limit the limitless God. Don't put him in a box and say, well, God, this this is you and walk out of this place unchanged, unaffected by an encounter with Jesus Christ. He's here. He wants to speak. He wants to minister. And if we're carrying burdens, if we're carrying weights, if we're carrying guilt, if we're carrying shame, man, leave it at his feet. Leave it there. That's why he came. That's why he hung upon the cross. That's why he died for you and for me. He is the gift of God. Amen. Father, we thank you again for your word. And Lord, I ask and pray. God, you would continue to take your word and speak and use it within each and every one of our hearts and within each and every one of our lives. Lord, you are such an amazing God. Lord, thank you that we can look into your word and we can see other people who had encounters with you and how they were so affected by their encounter. And again, tonight, God, I just believe you're speaking to not only to my heart. Pat, don't make it about the, the, the buckets and the ropes and the things that are consuming me that I feel like are just the here and the now. But I am to take those and to leave them at your feet and to be concerned about the eternal, that you, what you want to do in and through my heart and my life. But for each and every one here, God, I ask and pray just like this woman where she left those things there at your feet. 
Lord, help us to leave those cares, the current concerns, the burdens that maybe we walked in with, that we're carrying, that we're loaded down. Help us to leave them at your feet and then to follow you and to go after you. God, I ask and pray that you would fall upon us by the power of your spirit. You would cause your love, your glory, your light to shine upon us. And God, that through our encounters with you, we would be changed. We would be made more into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we would experience that grace that you give to each and every one of us. So Lord, we do thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you that we could gather, worship you, uh, be encouraged by you and through your word. And Lord, would you continue to watch over us, to be with us. And we do thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.